0: Okay, so joining me today is MedLab Clinical CEO, Dr. Sean Hort. Sean, thanks very much for joining us.
1: Mate, it's a pleasure to talk to you again.
0: Now, MedLab, as we know, was recently granted clinical investigational new drug status by the US FDA for its cancer-related pain treatment nanobis uh, the move allows MedLab to initiate a phase three trial in the us joining the uk and australia as approved phase three trial jurisdictions sean congratulations first of all you must be very excited
1: yes uh, I, I i feel like we are really forging ahead uh in in a very very large market potential um, but also you know hand on our hearts we believe that we're building a medicine that really will meet needs of modern-day patients.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, could you, for those who are uninitiated, could you just tell us a little bit about Nanibis, um, what it's for and, and, and how it was developed and all that stuff?
1: Right. Um, cut a long story short, uh, most people wouldn't realise that I lost my brother some time ago uh, to, to an oncology event. Right. Uh, it had me rethinking uh, a lot of what I once knew and once held true, right? It's probably the easiest way to put it. It also um, put me on a plane to the four corners of the world. And uh, in that, I was looking at that point for alternative treatments, whether that was in seizure control, whether that was in, in, in uh, alleviating pain. Ultimately, what I was looking for was something to try and beat the cancer. Uh, as it so happens, Alex passed, and that was uh, just over a decade ago. But I think his legacy has has remained with me. And to date, the ability to reduce some of these uh, aligned or, or, or direct diseases as a result of, uh, of a cancer is still very, very pure to what we do. Um, a long time ago, I got introduced to the work by GWP. Uh, early days in their Sativex program. It was really interesting. I thought the early work really did show promise. Uh, I was surprised that there was no one else in that game, right? And I get it, you know, World Optics was, this was a naughty, naughty thing to be playing with, right? And social stigma was, you want to do what with what? Dope, right? You can't do stuff like that. Um, So most people don't know the net result of that is we were the first uh, uh, commercial entity in Australia to be given a research license. Uh, into cannabis and uh, we got a good feel on it we we got a very good feel on what's wrong with a lot of the stuff that's been grown um for the record i'm not a believer in the entourage effect right um i i think when you come down to developing a drug or sorry a pharmaceutical if i may um, you know, you really have certain rigors that you've got to marry up to, in order to be able to clip that docket at the end of the day. And obviously, they're very diverse. But the, the first one is is being able to characterize and articulate exactly what is in your product, and why all those components are in there at that dose level that is consistent batch on batch on batch on batch. Mm-hmm. Um, it really rules out optionality of doing, let's say, a whole plant or some type of uh, 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 arbitrary entourage effective in cannabis, so we went down the route to building a true medicine, data. and my experience in, in in medical developments, my experience even in you know the high end doctors prescribed nutraceuticals, sort of bode in well because we were looking at precision and that 's where we started and that 's how nanobus came about so with the stuff that we were accessing whilst we were uh, uh, researching early days, none of that was appropriate. Um, uh, for the potential to marry up to what a, a drug master file might look like. And the reasons for that was, you know, on, on stuff that we were looking at, there was high amounts of vermin control, sulfurs and phosphorus is added clearly to the soil to accelerate growth, coloring agents, in half the case, you know, it was claimed, you know, CBD and THC, it was cut or laced with something that was really not THC, right? Um, so uh, we went down a route on on how do we take a plant and how do we clean it up? And by that, you know, turn it into a product that's 97, 98% pure. Uh, and nanobus came about, uh, you know, just uh, bringing it to a nutshell, came about as a CBD, THC, very clean formulation question then was is how do we get around the delivery problems that are experienced with cbd and especially thc because the medical uh uh uh, literature is a wash that thc by mouth is just not bioavailable um you know i think it totes six to eight percent best case right And, and and we had the delivery platform that we were building in parallel we were actually building it for another drug we uh refocused our efforts and looked at deploying it into into Nanobus to bring about a a better bioavailability profile and subsequently a better safety profile for the patient. right? Because in this, we started arguing that Nanobus has uh, a potential in pain management. And then as we went through the clinical trial process, we really did a laser focus down into uh, our cancer bone pain. And to date, they've been our best responders. Um, so early data in that uh, in the clinical setting was really really good. We announced that back in March last year. Bad time to announce clinical result considering the epidemic of COVID was right on uh, our <laughs> doorstep. Um, so for some people that got missed, and you know they're still hearing the story first time. Um, but what we've done is we've continued to grow it through a, a trials program, uh, and we've uh, maintained a very strong working relationship with the FDA, which is really good. So here we are now. Uh, on the verge of going into uh, global phase three trials, which will see Australia uh, join the UK and the US, uh, around about 360 patients. Uh, It is an aggressive uh, uh, protocol. Uh, The protocol has been done before. In fact, it's been used in a drug called dipentanol. But we will come to binary outcomes that we believe will prove our prior work. Um, So, where we're intending to take it at the end of the day is a registered, that being an approved pharmaceutical, in the first instance with a claim effective against cancer bone pain, which is a good population group, high-end exposure to opioid or mixed opioid use, so good Mm. unmet market needs and and subsequently good rationale for the product, Uh, and we're getting a fair bit of optics about that, and here we sit today about to go into late-stage trials, COVID moving forward, especially in the Northern he- uh, Hemisphere, is going to be a bit argy-bargy, you know, because their response is not conducive to launching patients in a hospital-controlled trial. Mm, yeah. I really deal with that. I'm certain that that local authorities will give us a heads-up on when that is now tactile and when we're free to move. But either way, we're, we're probably forecasting at this point Best case, you know, uh, Northern Hemisphere, summer first patient into the trial globally. Uh, And that's all right, because we still have some uh, work to finish here. Uh, We've got some good sites signing up and we're finalising budgets and site agreements and all that stuff. The next step will be ethics here in the US and the UK. And they have nuances on on how they do them, but that's all right, we're across that. And then the last step will be uh, final government approvals to actually bring the product into territories and that that will be a big earmark that 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 first patient is very close uh, in the case of the us and the uk it'll be first timers for for nanobus uh, i think from a stakeholder relationship you know um, when we're talking about an ind approval or in the case of the uk we're talking about um uh, a significant move process uh, move forward a um, uh, stance from the National Institute of Health Research, which is funded by the UK NHS. Yep. I think the optics around it. Um, generally, the consensus across the entire stakeholder group is, nanobus is viable, right? There is every opportunity in the world. This could be a viable opioid alternative, uh, and you know, data to date is showing. That you know, we can reduce morphine milli equivalence, which is a pathology we use to understand how compounded opioids in the body risks the patient or red flags the patient into, into toxicity or abuse uh, characteristics. So I think moving forward, good optics, good unmet need, late stage trial, um, it is traditional biotech work, but sky's pretty blue, and I think we've got a very strong pathway through it
0: i'm I'm really glad actually that you you i' mean, obviously sorry to hear your 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 personal story but i'm I'm really glad you kind of started with that in a way because i think what 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 sometimes gets lost in all of this is the kind of human impact of what the work you're doing um and i think you know anybody who's lost somebody to cancer, especially if they're if they're suffering you know extreme pain, would kind of know the know the misery of of that so 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 i think it's really I think it's really good that we kind of always keep that front of mind that this is important work that's going to make a massive difference to to people's lives. You, you've kind of answered about two or three of my my, my questions in one, which is brilliant. I, I love I love interviewing Sean for that for that reason. Um, but but my my question um, in terms of understand the process and, and and the clinical trials and everything that's got to happen between now and the moment when patients can be prescribed nanobits. So Have you got a sort of timeline in mind? Do you, do, is that sort of early 2022 or what, what, what do you think?
1: Right. Yes, the forecasting at 2021 play. Right. Uh, our optics, uh, and a lot will be predicated on on, on the vaccine rollout, I dare say. Yes. Uh, and the general acceptance of that is probably uh, a mid to late summer Northern Hemisphere time this year, first patient in. Whether we let Australia go off ahead of that, I don't know yet. Um, uh, and uh, we'll get to that as we get a little bit closer. But we have uh, clinical teams dispersed now around the world. Some of those installations are just being finished. Uh, we've got new medical monitors on specifically for, for, for nanobus who are heavily into the books, getting up to speed to make sure They can support, you know, local clinics, local hospitals, local doctors and patients in those areas from specifically a a trial medical monitoring uh, position. So we've still got a little bit of work to do. But, yeah, optics around it. If you want to put a dart on the dartboard, let's say late July, early August, all things being considered, uh, it is an aggressive timetable. But traditionally, that's how we've operated. And I have confidence in my team. That providing the macros really don't come into play, we'll probably hit pretty close to that mark.
0: Okay, great. And and actually, something I was going to ask you about, just in terms of kind of focus, really. You're obviously ASX listed. Um, there's been some companies recently who've kind of listed on the London Stock Exchange. You're obviously um, you know going down the kind of US FDA route. Do you see a time when you kind of list on the London Stock Exchange or in New York? Or, or
1: I, I can't speak to London, but, you know, we uh, um, are spending a lot of time, uh, and I hope in the future, a lot more time with uh, US bankers. Um, I'm not saying we're going to go to NASDAQ, you know, that decision hasn't been rendered, but we do appreciate that US is the bioca- biotech capital of the world. And at some point, in some way, we need some level of presence there. Uh, I'm not saying the ASX is good or bad. I'm just saying the market and subsequently the market for this drug from a from a patient point of view is the US. So I think moving forward, one should expect a, a, a lot more optics from the company centralised around the US. I mean, all, all the hallmarks, pardon the pun, all the hallmarks <laughs> there, you know, fda play last year we announced uh we were we were doing something with jeffries um and i'd like to think that moving forward um uh, that U the us new york in particular becomes a more constant piece in our outlook and part of our execution plan
0: and talking of um, US, US deals, I know when the Jazz Pharmaceuticals um, announcement was made that they'd, they'd bought GW for, for 7.2 billion, um, you, you were very quick to kind of hail that as a sort of validation of your own strategy to, you know, in terms of pursuing the drug approval pathway rather than over-the-counter products. Will that always be the plan or, or do you see a time when you might go down the OTC route alongside what you're currently doing?
1: There's, there's a fair bit to unpack there. I think the Jazz G-Dub bid really did highlight that there is a different market segment that is valid and it is real and from the quantums that are being thrown around trumps anything from that unregulated or adult use space. Uh, in my world, it really does highlight that traditional relationship between a biotech and a pharma. And no disrespect to jazz, jazz isn't the biggest farmer on the block, right? Um, But in biotech world, we predicate ourselves on taking on the early risk, marginalising the risk, showing evidence and a runway in our asset, in this case, Nanobus, and trying to do trade deals with a, a bigger, more sophisticated, more disciplined brother. So I think, again, I take my hat off to them. GW has blazed the way. Uh, I think they've done good work and subsequently that bid price I think is amazing considering they've only had one drug, right, federally approved in the US, very narrow claim, and what, circa $530 million in sales in 12 months, right? So you kind of get what the multiples look like, but it does provide a model. A model that has been validated and a model recently that's been done to all investors out there who are going well I hear of SAS and you know transactional movements of I sold one more bottle or companies swinging left to right to find the next deregulated market I think it, it puts a lot of strength in the fact that the drug development pathway is still as strong as ever it's not all about COVID which is where media has had us in the past 12 months uh, and the quantum's are. Staggering, if you get it right, and that's a big if. As for the OTC route, OTC can mean different things to different people. Um, We have uh, a uh, nanobus-like pharmaceutical asset called NanoCBD. It's a Xerox in every way, with the exception that there's no THC in the model. And we are looking, putting that down the OTC RX route. So you'd be aware, recently we had a gazetting that changed uh, uh, the National Poison Scheme as it relates to CBD, and it provides for a Schedule 3 category. I think most people fail to miss that your drug is not a Schedule 3 until the drug has been approved by the TGA, and the TGA make the determination on the schedule. But we are are, are doing a number of things at the moment to escalate, fast track if you would, depending Mm -hmm. on where the agency sits nano-CBD into potential Schedule 3 pharmacy-only medicine. As for general uh, uh, adult use, recreation use, unregulated use, call it what you will, over-the-counter things that we we experience, let's say, in certain states in the US, um, that's not our bag. Mm. Uh, Mm. In all the partnering conversations we have today, they are ethical medicines for ethical practice, Uh, and we're not actively you know chasing that type of thing out that may change but our business development teams don't have that on 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 their horizon so I, i think it's safe to say that you know as a biotech we build medicines medicines need to be unique they need to have patent walls around them and they need to work Everything the company is geared for is partnering in medicines. And I would expect you're going to see something very meaningful from us
0: shortly. Okay. Without well getting, sorry, go on. Without getting too deep into it. Okay. Um a couple of thoughts on that. Just going back to um, GW for a second, you mentioned that they've got, you know, I think it's epidialex is is the the um the treatment that they have for the product they have for children with severe epilepsy i know they're working on other other kind of candidates multiple cirrhosis autism schizophrenia i don't but i don't think they've got any cancer pain um, product in the market if do you think that that's where you'll continue to put your focus or will you look to develop kind of products for other indications too so uh, gw did have a cancer pain
1: it was called right? You can backtrack the literature, it's public. Sativex failed at FDA.
0: Um, right.
1: Sativex has, I'd need to double check if it's still conditional or, or provisional approval here and in some places in Europe, but they never got cancer pain on the docket. They got... Uh, uh, it's
0: MS, isn't it? As it yeah. relates to sclerosis, yes. correct? Yes. Right. Yeah.
1: Right? Um, So... That's one thing I think that that bodes well for us because, you know, as a comparator, especially the New York guys will go, okay, Sativex failed, it's in public. What is it you've learned from that that you're going to avoid taking out of us through the gates? And that's, that's a whole set of questions and answers unto itself. But there has been some good learnings there. I think when you look at us and you look at our R&D program, For those who know oncology, you could argue that every one of our program is an oncology play. So whilst traditionally we're not looking at the necrotic cell mass that forms that cancerous event, we are looking at all those other disease states that are known to occur or are compounded by, uh, um, you know, a, a, a cancerous event in a patient and it doesn't matter whether it's mental health, whether it's pain, um, um, whether it's chemotherapy, induced nausea and, vi- uh, and vomiting, or so forth. Everything we do has has an argument uh, against the core. So, you know, when I talk medlab more in the medical sense and people ask who we do, you know, first and foremost, we're a delivery platform company that specializes in oncology-related diseases. Um, and, and that sums up, let's call it our elevator pitch, if you would. Um, But that gives pretty good optics on what we do. And it will then just have people ask about some of the other areas of the company, like, you know, the nutraceutical areas. But certainly from the rigors of science, the drug development point of view, um, I would suggest that 80, 85% of everything we do is delivery platform aided. And pretty much 100% we're doing Uh, has benefit specifically in the class of oncology.
0: Okay, I just wanted to loop back on something else you said uh, uh, just around the whole over-the-counter thing. A couple of questions, really. There's been, as you sort of alluded to, there have been some early indications that um, whether it would be possible to talk to the TGA about making the the, um, registration process slightly less onerous with the understanding that obviously their first duty is to ensure, you know, patient safety. Uh, Um, Yeah. yeah. But, but whether there was another route to, or, or, or a way of fast tracking some of these medicines to, to, so that, so that we're not having to wait another year before anything is available under schedule three, where do you kind of stand on that? Oh, look,
1: um, it's a tough question, right? I, 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 know Uh, public rhetoric is divided. You know, this should be regulated or this should not be regulated. But at the end of the day, I think the TGA has a tough job, right? You know, uh, and I think the case in point at the moment is the COVID vaccine. I actually have very high regards for the TGA. I think they're one of the best in the world. Um, And, uh, you know, in my time with them, I've got to appreciate the work they do and the optics that they have to put on something. And whilst I might not always agree, I do find them collaborative. I think we have a medicine model here that has done a great job in protecting um, our public health response. Um, Should cannabis have a separate regulatory approval process? My argument would be why? And here's here's why I say that. We have a process for nutraceuticals. It's within the TGA. Within the TGA, there's a process for registered drugs. And there's various pathways in that that can lead to all sorts of outcomes. I, I don't understand. And I know the position has been put up. And I know at Canberra's level, I've been somewhat vocal about not doing it. But why should we take on board another mechanism, especially one that was put up that was outside the TGA, when it's very clear the TGA mechanism works, right? Um, Who's gonna pay for it, right? Why set up an agency within an agency or a separate agency purely for medical cannabis? What's next? Medicinal cocaine, right? Magic mushrooms, Or is there a pathway for a synthetic drug to go down that? I think it clouds the issue. I think one of the beauties in dealing with the TGA is once you can articulate what you're doing, you can have an honest to goodness conversation with them as to which pathway is most appropriate, right? But it's that agency. And again, you might not like what they say, but you know you're speaking to the right people. Mm. You know, I, I look at Canada, which has the Office of Medicinal Cannabis or something to that effect which is kind of in, but it's kind of a spin-off, you know, Health Canada. And my optics uh, from a couple of years ago dealing with the opioid group there is they don't understand why there's this completely separate unit that's kind of similar, almost the same, but it's very hands-off. And there's two different standards. You know, Martin, here's the way I look at it. It doesn't matter whether it's a nutraceutical, it's a food, it's a cannabinoid, or it's a drug. If the purpose is for you to some way absorb, metabolize it, and it's to give you a health benefit, then my preference is, is you have one regulator across the top of it. So at some point you can get some standardization in process, right? Um, and I look, I know that opinion is probably not gonna be liked by most, but it's an honest answer to an honest question. I would hate to see us go down the deregulated line because the first thing I'm going to question uh, is, what is it our patients are taking? How does that work with other medications? And at the end of the day, when it doesn't work and patients are liable to sue a doctor for malpractice or whatever, that line gets really fuzzy and where does responsibility lie? Most of my fellow doctors in the US are reluctant to prescribe a cannabinoid because it hasn't been federally approved and they have no idea what's in it, let alone how the patient is gonna respond with their other medications. Long story short, they're scared of getting sued. If our job is to promote health policy and, and good medicine, and bear in mind, we have socialized medicine in this country, then we need to make things simple as possible and standardize the response one company to the next, one product to the next, so there is no confusion in what we're about to do.
0: Uh, so I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a nice segue into, into um, I wanted to get your take on what you made of all the kind of coverage around OTC medicines um, a couple of weeks ago. And um, it, it felt at times that the, the, the industry didn't necessarily um, go out of its way to put people right in terms of managing expectations around being able to walk into a pharmacy and, and, and get CBD over the counter. Um, do we kind of have a, have a sort of duty of care, if you like, to, to kind of manage expectations and explain that there, there's, there's a process and that we're still probably 12 to 18 months away from, from that being the case?
1: I think we do. I, you know, I know of doctors and pharmacists here that get unindated with patients saying, "But it's over the counter." The media told me I can get it now, right? And I'm not having a slang off at any one group, mm. but I, I think there is a general confusion in the public, and that does need to be addressed, right? Um, I think when you look at health, especially health as it relates around you know, pediatric seizures, uh, pain especially in the elderly and so forth, it can get really emotional very quick. Mm. And so you speak of duty of care, I think when I think of those type of patient cohorts and their, their direct support line, i.e. families, I think the right information to the right people that they can then make up their own mind as to what they want to do with it is probably more helpful than uh, a five-second news blast that on the surface could be misaligned to really what's happening, you know, at the end of the day, let's be honest, right? A doctor can prescribe a cannabinoid THC, no THC, whatever it is, here and now under the SAS system, I think under Federal Minister Hunt and his uh, stakeholders through, through state health, they have done a remarkable job on expediting that SAS process. You know, we find that specialists are getting approvals inside of three hours, general GPs, 24, maybe 48 hours at times. unless there's a, a, a glaring uh, um, uh, black mark that needs to be addressed. So can patients ethically access a cannabinoid based on real benefit here and now? Yes. The downside is, is they're not approved. Doctors are still cautious, um, and there's no copay, right? So if all those boxes are to line up and we systematically want to check them, then we have a drug approval framework, right? Drug approval framework is a prerequisite moving into to PBAC for, for uh, our patient copay or health fund copay or Medicare, whatever it is. Uh, I, I think that all works. I think to the general community, they need to understand that, realise that their healthcare professionals are trying to make the best choice for them in light of the information they have.
0: It's a very good point, actually. uh, Not one I'd really thought of, but just that that thing about, you know, things get emotional very quickly because you're talking about people who are are looking for relief from, you know, pain or, or other, you know, conditions that are, you know, affecting their lives quite deeply and and families and and everything else yeah that's a, i think that's a very very good point um finally i i always like to do this e- even though it's almost impossible to make predictions in a post covid world what do you what do you see in 2021 for the industry where do you think we'll kind of be this time next year um a bit of crystal ball gazing to finish off with
1: I think from a a cannabis industry perspective, you're going to see a greater divide between those who are going to play in that unregulated, unsubstantiated markets versus those that really are starting to forge ahead on a a proper research-driven drug investigation model. Uh, I know when we started, people would look at us as if we were some weirdo. Um, In saying that now, I can think of three or four Aussie companies but again, take my hat off too, right? They've jumped into, yes, we are going to make an approved uh, pharmaceutical product here. Uh, and I think you'll see more of that. My optics from the US is a regulatory play, right? Uh, now has a lot of credence. We'll see a divide in that market as well. From our perspective, looking at 2021, you'll see none of us go into the US and to the UK. You'll see first patient in in the trial. There'll be progression updates in other works that we're doing around that. Um, And we will continue doing uh, our medical education and our key opinion leader development as it's aligned to the ultimate goal, which is drug registration models. Um, There is talk that in the US in particular Biden might make good on a proper uh, a proposition of deregulating cannabinoids. Maybe that happens. Maybe that happen. Maybe that doesn't happen. I mean, a politician making a promise. You know, go figure. Um, but my optics on that is, if cannabis really has the potential to mitigate disease response. Whether it's regulated or deregulated makes no difference. You need to get that vetted. You need to be approved. Hand on your heart. You talk about what the product can do. In the US, there's only ever one agency that can do that. That's the FDA. Our purpose is to make medicines for patients, right? We value the science. We value the hard work and the discovery and then we value the patent laws we put around it that is optimised to a potential trade partner to take a product into a large market and they do what they do. That's not what, what we're about. But it produces a revenue tail for us. Uh, at the same time, gives us comfort in that we're provided a much needed medicine that's going to do the right thing by the patient and give the doctor every confidence in its ability to be prescribed with or without other medication. Right. So, I, I think you'll see a divide. The, the regulatory pathway is very real. Um, as I said, Jazz G Dub just showed us that. I've got a funny feeling you'll see more people try jump into that. Capabilities, it's a different conversation. We'll assess that in time.
0: Sean, always great to chat. Thanks very much for taking the time. Cheers. Cheers, mate. you can have after yourself. Take care. Okay.